welcome into their podcast talking about uh inception here with my boy hudson hi good job uh and my other boy zach hi there if you want to read reviews or check out our other content go to the website racewithmovies.com and now hudson is going to hit us with a synopsis of the movie we're talking about today which is inception all right thanks tim um so yeah inception is a movie about dream sharing and pretty much the plot is Leonardo DiCaprio and Joseph Gordon-Levitt assemble a team of people to plant an idea in a big businessman's head and they do that by sharing dreams and going down into levels of dreams uh, where you can you know theoretically uh, change someone's psychology uh, via their subconscious and so it's kind of like a psychological heist and um, the adventures get pretty wild and exciting. That's my very, very brief overview. No, I think you nailed it. I think uh, this, this movie was genre bending in that it was a, not just a heist movie, a heist movie of someone's mind. Mm-hmm. And what can be more precious than a mind? Mm-hmm. Well, let us begin. <laughs> Well, so I just watched this movie this afternoon, actually, and there were and uh, Hudson, you were talking about this in our pre-production meeting about um, how this movie hits a little bit differently in being part of a, a psychology program right now. Yeah, so I first fell in love with this movie when it when it came out, um, and has since then been on you know my top movies list. But like you, I hadn't seen it in a while, so I watched it for the first time over the course of this week. And I actually finished it up today as well. Um, and yeah, being in a psychology program, watching this gives the whole movie like a different flavor. Uh, you kind of pick up on some of the psych lingo that they use and uh, attach it to some of the concepts you're learning um, in, in a psych program, such as, you know, projections and subconscious uh, one idea that I particularly enjoyed is that to pull off Inception, you know, what the title of the movie and the premise is about, um, the person whom you're giving the idea, it has to come from them and like and given to them by their own subconscious or else the idea won't take. The, uh, their mind would eventually refute it as it is not their own. Um, and I think there's a lesson in that. Yeah, one that will let listeners pick up for themselves. But yeah, I think that's I think it's a, it's a like a really interesting point. Um, the sort of psychological language that they use here. Um, they throw the word subconscious around a lot, uh, which I don't think it's always the most accurate definition of it. But what I thought was interesting is like um, there's almost like this palpable like fear of the subconscious, which I think is because uh, they're like, oh, we can't go down the subconscious. We'll be stuck there forever. Um, I thought that was kind of an interesting piece of it and then the subconscious ends up being like uh being washed up on a beach or something like that mm-hmm. and it's kind of yeah they treat they sort of treat these like psychological constructs with zach which zach and i know are not real constructs are not real they treat these psychological constructs as like not only real but like these tangible things and characters in the movie which is mm-hmm. like kind of interesting yeah the the subconscious often like turns on those who are like creating the the farce or making the dream sort of like um the people who are, aren't supposed to be there 
Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, they become really dangerous. And then the, the main character, you know, a huge plot point is that he has all this baggage from his, uh, you know, kind of adventures and dream sharing um, and his past relationships that kind of become exposed, like the deeper down into the subconscious they go. Um, and it can kind of be wild and unpredictable and uh, create sort of this danger for the other people who are along with him. Um, so it is kind of interesting. The movie does frame the subconscious as this sort of unknown. Yeah, what, what do you think all this, Zach? Yeah, I hadn't thought about the the point about it being a fearful place. And I feel like that's how it, well, maybe about to consult our Freud expert, but I, I feel like at least in like popular culture, the, the idea of the subconscious is definitely something that is like, it's, it's like unsettling. Like there's like kind of a psychological horror element to this movie, especially when like the subconscious mm-hmm. is like turning and I remember like staring at the characters and um, just the idea that, that parts of us could be like lurking and, and influencing us in weird ways, I think is like kind of, horror almost but also like a very popular conception i feel like of like parts of our mind that we don't know or don't have access to directly yeah i kind of see it a little bit like a good reflection of the popular idea of what like freudian psychoanalysis could be is like as long as the subconscious remains like very deep and unknown it it could have adverse effects and so that's kind of what the main character does, right? Like he keeps his uh, memories of his, his wife, his past, and kind of like all his regrets, like buried in some dreamscape that he's created. And he could, tries to like manage it himself and he doesn't tell anyone about it, um, but yet it keeps popping up during their, you know, during their work. And, um, you know, one of the other characters, she sort of discovers what he has locked away deep in his subconscious. And she's like, you have to tell everybody. And I think that kind of like parallels therapy in a way. It's like, you need to talk about your subconscious. You need to like bring it into your conscious awareness, you know, not bury it down deep or else it'll be dangerous. And so eventually the main character kind of like confronts, um, you know, what's down there for him. And that's sort of how he overcomes and, and comes out triumphant is that he he finally deals with everything down there. It's very cathartic psychological horror movie. Mm-hmm. As I was thinking about this episode and kind of what kind of content to bring to it, I had this thought, and you had mentioned before that you're a bit of, of a Freud a Freudian, a Freud adherent, right? A psychoanalytic adherent. For sure. Freud moves through time, okay, hypothetically, to 2010. He is there the summer of 2010 sits down in a German theater to watch this movie in German. He comes out of the theater, a random pollster uh, walks up and says, Mr. Freud, what did you think of this movie? What do you think his response is? Hmm. I think he'd like it. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, use the accent and do it in character, please. Oh, right. Um, my German accent is not <laughs> the par. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> I think he would like it. Um, you know, it, at the very least, I think if Freud was to travel in time and see a modern film 
With color, a moving picture. <laughs> I think just that in and of itself, he would be wildly entertained. Uh, and hopefully, you know, he wouldn't be so overwhelmed that he could have taken in some of the plot too and compared <laughs> to his theories. Uh, but you think he would like it just based on the plot? I do. I think he would. Yeah. I think Lloyd would be really into the idea of dream sharing and going to explore uh what's what's down there because he was trying to do that himself you know mm. analyze dreams and whatnot yeah yeah that's interesting i think you know if this technology were real and readily available that does seem like something freud would be into like hanging out with the people's dreams yeah i would not be surprised if uh, freud was like first to sign up for dream sharing he seems like that kind of guy he'd be one of those people in that basement and that's in the movie where they come and spend like 40 years a right day in the basement yeah that becomes their reality as we talk about this i think that i mean obviously you know more about Freud than i do but it, it seems like the dream part of things was sort of like an expression of the unconscious right and so maybe he would be a little bit resistant to like actually going into the unconscious and experiencing it in like a more tangible way maybe that wouldn't feel like it would be have quite as much value especially with how much control people have over their conscious and subconscious in the movie mm, that's a good point yeah i mean there's some quote that like freud says that dreams are the window into the subconscious or into the unconscious mm. which is what his whole theory is is he's trying to uncover unconscious conflict and uh resolve it and you know in doing so, you would achieve more psychological health. Mm -hmm. um, so the idea of, you know, going down there in person, um, I don't know if it would be as useful to him because I know, you know, just talking about it in psychoanalysis was was his cure, was a talking cure. So I don't know if he's as action-oriented or if he would just prefer to be in the office. What do you think, Zach? What do you know about Freud? Oh, I don't know much about his dream stuff, but I, I guess it, it, it just made me think about um, you bringing up the idea of constructs and, you know, the idea that there is no, you can't go to the subconscious. There's no like place to go. And I, it just makes me curious about how he kind of conceptualized like the subconscious, if it was something that could be represented by like, a movie or or put into like visuals or for for him if it was something like a psychological realm where like the way this movie showed it just couldn't capture it because it's beyond sort of putting it into images i don't i, I have no idea but that's definitely like did he think it was someplace in the mind you could go or was he using the word subconscious to represent you know something else if that makes sense yeah, it does. And I think you're you're touching on something that maybe we lose in the field of psychology today that I think back when Freud was doing it, you know, he was really trying to treat people for like a like a spiritual problem, but that kind of language doesn't really fly now. So we've tried we've kind of like medicalized it all. Mm -hmm. Um and so yeah, I think there is a sense that the subconscious and the unconscious are sort of beyond um and therefore can't be captured you know through the medium of film 
but I definitely think that Inception is trying to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, they do a pretty good job of like, you know, with the the way that the dreams in the film can like defy physics and um, all these sort of all these things that are beyond natural law in our experience, you know, walking around in the world um, happen in the movie through like special effects and stuff. Uh, so I think that kind of brings the beyond to life a little bit. Yeah. Zach, as you were talking about constructs, I was imagining uh, uh, John McNeil walking out of this movie in 2010 and being like, that was some bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, let's switch gears here and uh, talk about um, kind of the ending uh, in which uh, our hero Cobb has to decide which reality he wants to live in. Um, and it seems to be like one of the main key points of the movie is like people, or Cobb at least, can't really tell when he's dreaming and when he's not. He has to decide kind of which reality he wants to live in. That seems to be like one of the main drivers of the story and like basically everything in the movie about reality. Yeah, so one of the parts um, that I fell in love with when I first saw this movie and I still really like is the idea of like the totem that each of the characters or dream shares carries around. Because once you spend a lot of time in dreams, uh, you start to have difficulty telling, you know, what's a dream and what's not. So everybody has this little piece that they carry around that um, will tell them whether they're dreaming or not, um, and Cobbs is a top. And in the dream world, it will spin indefinitely. Um, and in reality, gravity will take hold and the top will stop spinning. And, you know, that totem was originally his wife's who, you know, um, she, she ends up dying because she was convinced that uh, her world was not real, which is sort of like, um, you know, the the impetus of the movie. She was the first one that Cobb uh, planted an idea in her head. That was like the original inception is that he and her were down there for so long. They lived an entire life until they were, you know, old, gray, had um, all in the dream world. And so when she came back, she was convinced that she was still in a dream and she ended up you know, dying by suicide. And, um, you know, from then on, Cobb was kind of tortured by her death and all the guilt around that. Um, and he himself struggled to figure out whether, you know, his reality was the real world or the dream world. And he was pulled between the two. And sort of at the end there, he has to confront his wife named Mal in the dream world, you know, three levels deep, if you will, where things start to really kind of fall apart as far as like reality goes. And he gets, he has to tell her no. He has to tell her that she's not real and that he has to let her go um, and and choose the reality up above, as he says, because it's like three levels up to out of dreams. And um, I think it's such a fascinating concept. You know, if you were to spend time in a dream for that long, it could very much feel 
more real than uh, your day-to-day life. And I just love kind of playing around with those ideas. So this movie is nice for me in that way. Yeah, I feel like it, it um, we were like asking the question if he's choosing to like live in this dream world or live in the reality. And I feel like a theme that comes up in a lot of movies where the character has to choose to like stay in the make-believe or go to the real, like the emphasis is always on like choosing the real place. Like there's something about like, not living in like the real world that I, I maybe this comes up a lot in sci-fi but it's like or like I was just I, I for some reason I just watched the Truman show the other day and that was like another like tension there it's like should I leave this place even though it's perfect but I know it's not real and I can't like stand for that and that seems to be a very like larger like human theme like we need to be in the real place and we can't be happy if we know it's like fake or at least that's how i feel like it comes across in a lot of movies including this one even if it's all perfect down here it's not real so you shouldn't you should get out of it kind of a feeling mm-hmm. yeah well that's the same idea in the matrix right it's like right he has just this creeping sense that his his world is an illusion um and then you know lo and behold somebody comes along and says hey it actually is um and you know, it's so cathartic for him to know like this whole time that he was, he was being duped. And then it's his, his like destiny to uh, set everyone else free from the prison that is, you know, um, a farce. And yeah, there's, I think culturally, you know, it, it spans many movies that uh, this idea that we need to live in reality or truth is the most important um, I don't know. I don't know what that's about. Yeah. Like we're all, we all need to wait. Like we're going to wake up to the real reality. Like that's, that is a very common. And then once you wake up to it, you can't go back. You can't go back to sleep. Yeah. And like Neo's world in the matrix is like, like the real world is kind of shit. It's like all dark. The sun's gone. Like everything's terrible, but the fact that it's true makes it better. Yeah. 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 Even though it's objectively worse. Right. (laughs) yeah it, it's in, yeah i think it's an interesting point i really considered um both of them actually that um there is a sort of inherent value in things being true versus like effective mm-hmm. right which is interesting i think when we apply it to sort of like a, a psychological concept or like a, uh, the idea of a defense right so someone who engages in defense of like repression right we say hey no don't don't do that because like you're making your life worse by doing that but that's how that person survives right and in some ways it feels like that mirrors this choice as well where it's like we want you to stop doing that because that's not true right and if you're doing something not true that's not good for you even though what you're doing is good for you that's that's the whole thing that's going on in inception right is is uh Cobb in order to manage his his guilt and his unresolved feelings about his wife's death. You know, he builds like a little dream prison for her to live mm-hmm. and he goes and visits it all the time. Um, you know, and the characters in the film are like, no, dude, don't do that. You can't. Um, and because apparently, you know, his, his subconscious is just getting more and more powerful and, and these memories that he's trapped his wife in just keep bubbling up in the surface as they're, you know, doing other dream work Mm -hmm. and um 
Yeah, so I think it really mirrors that idea that like a repressive defense uh, is bad because it's not true. You have to let it go. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, the idea is subconscious getting worse. I kind of rolled my eyes at that, but then I was like, not a subconscious, but it's getting worse. It's his, well, it is subconscious, but like, it's also his symptoms that are getting worse because his, uh, his um, defenses have to, have to be so much stronger than now They now spider out into everything else. Yeah. It takes so much energy, energy to manage them, right. To keep them locked away in that, that dream world that he's built. Um, and you know, eventually as he becomes more and more stressed throughout the work they're doing, he doesn't have, um, I guess, the resources to keep it all tidy and locked away. Yeah. Uh, so the only way to really deal with it is to, to let it go, to go down there and, you know, let it be instead of keeping it locked away. No, I think it's, that's interesting. Uh, it feels like we're going deeper into the movie, similar to the characters. Yeah, no, it is. yeah. I, I, I think another thing I was thinking as I was watching it was like how symbolic everything was, right? Like, I, I think I started thinking that when um, the uh, like the train plows through the city, right? I was like, wow, that's symbolic of defenses right there, right? Like this big train's knocking over cars, stopping stuff from moving. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, yeah, it, it, everything took on sort of a different symbolism, which I thought. And I, as I watched the movie, I was like, oh yeah, maybe that's that, that's that, that's that. Also, Joseph Gordon-Levitt gets, like, left behind and has, like, half a movie to himself. Yeah, he's, like, you talking about when he's, like, on the first level, like, holding things yeah. down while everybody else is off. Yeah. But, you know, they get to go go on. But he gets that badass scene where um, basically he's in the hotel one dream layer down from mm-hmm. the, the guy who runs the sedatives. He's in the dream layer above, and he's driving the van. And yeah. they're all in the van he gets in the car crash and rolls a bunch of times so you know one layer down joseph gordon levitt is in this hotel room it's like changing gravity and they're kind of bouncing off all the walls um i watched this behind the scenes thing of how they did that they basically had a big trailer hooked up in this crazy machine that basically just like rolled it around so all that is like live action film but it's not special effects Uh, it's, it's so he didn't get to go down to the next layer, but he had the coolest scene in the movie, if you ask me. March 31st is the last day you can watch it on Netflix. Oh, oh good to know. Yeah. Of 2021, if you're listening to this far in the future. <laughs> in case it goes off Netflix, comes back on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, let's, um, let's move on to this idea of just Christopher Nolan movies in general. Right, because I mean, this this was this was one of those summer blockbusters. And um, actually, I was trying to think about where this came out in the series of Christopher Nolan movies, because I, I think Batman Begins came out before, and I think so did the second one. And I think he also did the Magician movie too before this. What was the Magician movie? The Illusion? No, the Not the Prestige. The Prestige. Yeah. yeah, those all came out before this. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it feels like at the time this came out, it was like a pretty big movie. Yeah, I mean, the first time I went and saw it, I was with a bunch of friends and we walked out of the theater and just couldn't believe what we had just seen. It was groundbreaking um, for me. I just like, you know, especially during COVID times, I really, really miss that. (laughs) Uh, Just going to the theater with 
connecting with friends and, and walking out and just completely amazed. Um, and that's kind of how I've, I've felt after many Christopher Nolan movies. Uh, they're long, they always have big ideas, lots of action. And I just kind of feel like, you know, I had completely been transported for two and a half hours and then the lights come on and you realize you're still in your hometown. Um, it's, <laughs> I, I miss that magic of the theater. Yeah. There's like a whole, I think magic of, uh, like going to the theater and like being excited for the movie and like talking about being excited for the movie. If you like make a movie going an event, which it often feels like it is, I think it's like a very, yeah, I, I, I miss that a lot. And I feel like he makes movies that are really good for like the theater, like to see on the big screen. And I know he cuts and edits them, especially the sound, like specifically for the theater, which I feel like is my biggest, I, I, I always, I like his movies, but I, I feel like I never quite capture how it is like when I see it, like, on the big screen and obviously that's true for a lot of movies but i feel like that's like especially true for his movies they seem to be like made for you know these imax or these at least like a theater um with like the roaring booming audio around you i feel like he has the theater in mind when he cuts this movie respect for christopher nolan and his movie making abilities and for uh yeah i just think that series i think can't remember if we were saying that earlier or not, but like the Batman's to Inception to um, Interstellar, that streak there. Um, those are kind of all in my top 10. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a big fan. Like five movies. It's half your top 10 right there. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It's pretty much split between him and Wes Anderson. I need mean, <laughs> to take all my top films. That and, and then Harry Potter too. So, wow. Sprinkle them all in. Like you just named like 18 films right there. Yeah. <laughs> the Wes Anderson doesn't surprise me. It does not surprise me at all that you're a fan of Wes Anderson. Yeah. If you uh if you have me on again, I'll I'll talk a Wes Anderson film. Okay. What's your favorite Wes Anderson, Hudson? Oh, uh, the Life Aquatic. Cool. Number one. Yeah. Um specifically like really love the soundtrack mm. that's for uh for next episode i guess <laughs> uh yeah well let's draw it to a close here uh hudson i don't even know if you have like a scale you rate movies on or if you could even rate a movie like this since it's already in your top 10 i think i could give it a give it a whirl please zero to ten ten being unbelievably amazing best thing you've ever seen and zero being really terrible However, the scale speaks to you. Um, well, since I've already teed it up, I'll use that scale. I would give this an 8.9. Wow. Yeah. Zach, where do you put uh, uh, Inception? I would give this movie um, probably an 8.5 for me. There's definitely some nostalgia to it. Sacrilege. 8.5? That's a high. That's a good rating. That's a quality movie in my book. Yeah, I think you said Tree of Life was a 9. So Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. see, there you go. Cool. Uh, yeah, I think, um, so my website, we, we, go, we go 1 to 5. Just keep it simple. I think it probably hits an easy 4 out of 5. <clears throat> yeah, 4 out of 5. And uh, if you're interested in reading my review, check out the website, raisedbymovies.com. Um, 
yeah, thanks for coming on the pod, guys. Good episode. I don't know if you want to give a shout out to your, to your fans. I'll, I will tell you the website averages one visitor a week. Um, usually it's just me making sure the website's still working. Maybe I'll check it out. We'll have two visitors. That's deviling your traffic. Click on all the AdSense words so I can make 94 cents. Well, let's call it an episode. Thanks again for coming on. You can say goodbye to the folks if you want or just Bye. wait. Bye, all listeners. You can't see me waving, so I'm going to use my voice to say adieu. Bye, all. Pleasure being on. I'm glad I could be uh, included. This was fun. Yes, it was, Zach. And that'll bring us to the end of the episode. Uh, again, if you're interested, um, go ahead and check out our website, raisebymovies.com. You can see reviews, other episodes, and just other cool stuff. All right, thanks.